Welcome back, everybody, to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, we hope. (laughs) I'm Lisa Linky. I am one of your co-hosts. And across from me, across town, across my computer, across the Ethernet, across the universe, is Misty Across your heart. Thank you. (laughs) Across my heart and hope today is my other, my better half in this podcast, Misty Stinnett. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. This is a weekly podcast where we read and review a popular self-help book and tell you all about the ins and outs, the ups, the downs, the yays, the boos, the goods and the bads. Basically, we tell you what we we think about it. And if you're, like I said, if you're new, welcome aboard. I'm a born skeptic and Misty is a born optimist. So together, we'll give you like a real good version of, of probably a balanced version of what this book is. Some kind of birth. Some kind of birth. And that's our Friday episode. That's what you're listening to now. It's a full frontal Friday. And on Tuesdays, we have our weekly beefs. These are our follow-up episodes where we explore everything and anything non-book related in the genre of self-help. So maybe it's yeah. thought-provoking questions or articles or interviews or Trivia, or who knows, but it's our choice, and it's dealer's choice, and we're dealers. That's right. Uh, This podcast is explicit. (laughs) It had a little E in front of it because Misty and I were born on the docks, and we love to fucking cuss. Yeah, it just comes out so naturally. It's true. I can't. I don't know. If you are interested in supporting us, please consider becoming part of our Patreon community. Links are in show notes, but you can always visit us at patreon.com slash go help yourself. We have a loving community there where... We chat <laughs> with one another and get to know one another. There's tiers uh, accessible at any price point for you and lots of cool member benefits. One of which is called Deep Dives, where we now talk about homework from the books and we get real intimate and personal. Yeah. And also we do life updates yeah. and we like ask thought-provoking questions and it's just, it's a conversation. Yeah, yeah it's really it's cool. It's really fun. So all of that, and if you want to support your Cool, go help yourself merch. Links are in that, uh, in the show notes as well. I right now am wearing my Life is Abundant sweatshirt and I feel very cozy. Oh, yeah. And if you're like me, you can buy a GHY LLL sweatshirt. You can get super excited about it and almost immediately splash bleach all over it and just feel so good that you chose the navy blue. And keep wearing it anyway, because it's really comfortable. (laughs) We want to give a shout out to all of our current Patreon members and supporters. And we love you so much and are so happy to be learning more and more about you and get to know you on a more personal level. So with that, Misty, we've been having quite a few guest hosts and friends come on because you and I are kind of in the thick of it right now. I, like, you are going through so much grief I am. and such an identity and routine adjustment. Yeah, I really am. In the middle of a pandam. Mm-hmm. Wait, what did somebody call it earlier? A pandiquar? Oh no. Uh, which I, <laughs> thank you. And I am just for whatever reason doing a lot of emotional healing that is necessary and tying up loose Ends of trauma, which has been a blast. You are also going through it on your own. I'm going through it and like my job is all consuming and I'm so grateful for it. And like I can't do anything. <laughs> so we have asked we are, we have walked the walk. We are asking for help from our friends and and loved yeah. ones to to help continue bring this content. To help continue yeah. bring. Is that right? 
continue to, to bring. help continue bringing. Oh boy, listen, it was either gerund or an infinitive and I chose neither. To help continue what? to bring or help continue bringing this content to you without stop. And I'm really proud of us for doing that. I am too. And I mean, I will say like, I did just present like a two-parter and then I presented like a book before. I mean, like we're doing our best yeah. to keep the consistency and we're grateful to be here. We're just, it. we're just drained. We're just too drained. Overly worked. Underappreciated. Underpaid. Happy as a clam. Just want to take a nap. <laughs> Bitches. <laughs> Thank you. So... I'm going to do something this week that is not unprecedented for us, Mm -hmm. but is unusual. And I am going to bring to the GHY stage our third article we've ever covered. Oh, listen, I'm here for it. I say yes. So everybody's attention span is like, so an article is perfect. Yes. And and also articles can be life-changing, you know, like... There are some, as as we heard in our episode where I shared Gemma Hartley's Harper's Bazaar article called Women Aren't Nags Were Just Fed Up, mm-hmm. which then spawned her book deal for her, her incredible book, Fed Up, where we had her, Gemma Hartley, the author, on the podcast, sharing about it with us. It's life-changing. Mm-hmm. You know, these concepts can be amazing. And this one just felt so perfect for the conversation that we've been having over the last year about needing to address kind of society's problems at the root cause. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I am going to read this article to you okay. and then we'll chat about it. And what I love is, what's cool is that because I'm going to read it in its entirety to you, we're going to get all of the context. It's not a book that we're summarizing, that yeah. we're leaving things out. So I really love that. Every time you say article, it makes me think of the movie Circle of Friends with Minnie Driver and Chris O'Donnell. And I have lots of stories about Chris O'Donnell just because... I lived in Chicago. He's from Chicago. Anyway, mm. but they would say it was like set in the 1950s Ireland. And they would say, say to each other, oh, you're the genuine article. Oh, you're the genuine article. <laughs> and it's just so whenever you say oh, article, that's what you I think are. Of. I have heard that. I think my mom used to say you're the genuine article, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a very genuine article, <laughs> to be really earnest. Okay, I'm ready. That's what's happening. Okay, so this is from Harper's Bazaar. It was written by Melanie Hamlet, and it was published on May 2nd of 2019. And there will be a link to this in show notes. All credit to the author and to Harper's Bazaar. The title of the article is, To Be or Not Men to be. Have... Thank you. That was low hanging fruit. Listen, Everybody, that's all let's I got give a right big now. wave at Lisa Linky. No as bra. She walks low up hanging fruit. <laughs> oh my God. Here we go. Here's where we are. Men have no friends and women bear the burden. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What is this called? I almost said the byline, the highlights, the what the what is that called? <laughs> the subtitle? <laughs> No, the main headline yeah. is the headline. That's the word. This is how my brain is going. No. Toxic masculinity and the persistent idea that feelings are a female thing has left a generation of straight men stranded on emotionally stunted island, unable to forge intimate relationships with other men. Mm-hmm. It's women who are paying the price. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. This really ties into 
what we read from Liz Plank for the love of men, yeah. from Better Man, Michael Ian right? Black, with yeah. Michael Ian Black, and we talk a lot about women's situations and women's experiences and bringing those to the forefront. And we cannot, I don't believe, fix women's issues until we fix what's happening with men as well or address it and heal it. So that's why I wanted to bring this article. So, oh, and my friend Allison sent this to me. Allison is an LLL. Yay, Allison! The best. She's just the best, Al. Okay. Kylie Ann Kelly can't remember the exact moment she became her boyfriend's one and only, his what would I do without you, but she does remember neglecting her own needs to the point of hospitalization. I talked him through his aspirations, validated his opinions, and supported his career. I had to be his emotional guru because he was too afraid to admit he had any emotions at all, recalls the 24-year-old English teacher who was studying for her PhD at the time. Kelly's boyfriend refused to talk to other men or a therapist about his feelings, so he'd often get into funks, picking pointless fights when something was bothering him. Eventually, Kelly became his default therapist, soothing his anxieties as he fretted over work or family problems. After three years together, when exhaustion and anxiety landed her in the hospital and her boyfriend claimed he was too busy to visit, they broke up. Kelly's story, though extreme, is a common example of modern American relationships. Women continue to bear the burden of men's emotional lives, and why wouldn't they? For generations, men have been taught to reject traits like gentleness and sensitivity, leaving them without the tools to deal with internalized anger and frustration. Meanwhile, the female savior trope continues to be romanticized on the silver screen, thanks Disney, making it seem totally normal, even ideal, to find the man within the beast. Unlike women who are encouraged to foster deep platonic intimacy from a young age, American men with their puffed-up chests, fist bumps, and awkward side hugs grow up believing that they should not only behave like stoic robots in front of other men, but that women are the only people they are allowed to turn to for emotional support, if anyone at all. And as modern relationships continue to put pressure on the one to be the only one where men cast their wives and girlfriends to play, best friend, lover, career advisor, stylist, social secretary, emotional cheerleader, mom, to him, their future kids, or both, and eventually on-call therapist minus the $200 an hour fee, this form of emotional gold digging is not only detrimental to men, it's exhausting an entire generation of women. The idea of an emotional gold digger was first touched on in 2016 by writer Aaron Rodgers with a tweet that continues to be reposted on social media, both by women who married self-described feminist men and by those who, with more conservative husbands. It has gained more traction recently as women, feeling increasingly burdened by unpaid emotional labor, have wised up to the toll of toxic masculinity, which keeps men isolated and incapable of leaning on each other. Across the spectrum, women seem to be complaining about the same thing. While they read countless self-help books, excuse me, listen to podcasts, double excuse me, (laughs) seek out career advisors, turn to female friends for advice and support, or spend a small fortune on therapists to deal with old wounds and current problems, the men in their lives simply rely on them. It's for this reason that artist Lindsay Johnson jokingly calls herself everyone's beck and call girl. 
Not only does she take care of her husband and children, she just moved in with her mom to take care of her as well because she knows her brothers won't. Both recently divorced, her brothers are already turning to her, but never to each other, to provide the support their wives used to. Men drain the emotional life out of women, says the 41-year-old who lives in Nashville, Tennessee. I love them, but good Lord, they've become the bane of my existence. I know. I know. Take a second to just like let what has been written settle in your body. Johnson admits she enables her brothers by saying yes all the time, partly out of guilt, but also partly because she loves being needed to feel important, Johnson explains. It's a catch-22. Eventually, it becomes too much, and I end up exhausted and resentful. And does this not remind you, Lisa, as a side note, of our episode, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? He talks about, oh, women are so happy to give and give and give and give, and then they crash down like a wave. And then you just need to tell them they're doing a great job, and then they rise back up again. It's like, no, we're literally functioning to the point of exhaustion. We have a breakdown, finally get the rest we need, and then soldier on. <laughs> it also reminds me of The Dance of Anger by Harriet Lerner, because oh, yeah. being able to set boundaries and like, you know, being the everything for everyone and, and being able to acknowledge mm-hmm. our anger when that's not something. We aren't taught how to manage our anger, but we are taught how to manage like these soft skills. And, Everything like, else, yes, yeah. Yes. Everyone else's feelings, but not our own. We're not allowed to have anger, yeah. So, like Johnson, most of the women I spoke to for this piece believe that their ego and self-worth are often wrapped up in being a man's crutch. And by the way, I just want to say, as I read this, I realized that I don't consciously think that. I'm not like, I need to go find a man to like find value but I absolutely have those indirect messages in me. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can't grow up here without it. No, no. So yeah, it's it's unconscious as well as conscious, right? Subconscious, not (laughs) unconscious. I'm just just sleeping all the time. (laughs) So she says, but the older women get, the less willing they seem to be a man's everything. Not only because we become more confident, wise, and well-tired with age, but because our responsibilities pile up with each passing year. All the retired women I know are busier than ever, taking care of spouses, ailing friends, grandchildren, and parents, then doing some volunteering on the side. Meanwhile, things only get worse for women's aging partners. Men don't usually put the effort into maintaining friendships once they're married, Johnson says. The guys at work are the only people other than me that my husband even talks to. So when some of these men retire, they expect their wives to be their source of entertainment and even get jealous that they have a life. Mm. Johnson jokes that women her mom's age seem to be waiting for their husbands to die so they can finally start their life. She says, I'll get a call saying so-and-so kicked the bucket. And sure enough, his widow is on a cruise around the world a week later with her girlfriend. Hey! <laughs> Hello, Spain. No. Oh my God, it's so dark and sad. I'm, and I'm laughing out of widow. Yeah, no. <laughs> no! I'm laughing out of pure sharp discomfort. (laughs) But I also understand because the role, especially for women who are older than us, the role was support your husband till he dies. Let me tell you something. I have had this experience in a long-term relationship and it takes everything. 
But it, it also just sucks the life. It out also of makes you. sense because my God, we just we inherently value men's time more than women's as a society. Uh, yeah, but also we are taught take care. And by the way, of course, we are speaking in heteronormative terms here. Yes. Obviously, there is so much more to be dealt with in the in-betweens and gender fluidity and homosexual relationships and everything in between. And we're, God, we're so supportive of that. But when we are talking about this conversation, men, women, or people who identify as men and are privileged in society that way, mm-hmm. and vice versa, we condition women and girls to make themselves small so that we don't inconvenience anyone else mm-hmm. and become very aware of managing everyone else's feelings mm-hmm. and comfort. Mm-hmm. And then we teach men to not manage, we don't teach them anything at all about, about managing yeah, no. their feeling. We just say, don't cry, don't be a pussy, man up. We teach them to to do what they need to do to feel comfortable. Yes, but they don't feel like that's part of it. But then there's this other part of they feel trapped and have nowhere to go That's and right. have all this anger or sadness and no one to talk to. And so you can see how it's this perfect storm of some people overworking, other people having no idea what the work is to do, and yeah. then everyone is miserable. So it just really breaks, it just breaks my heart. And, you know, Gemma Hartley spoke about in her book, Fed Up, that because men aren't used to doing the emotional labor and mental load of keeping up friendships or remembering whose birthday it is, like who to buy a gift for, how to reach out for help. If their spouses die, they, there's just this pandemic of loneliness among older men because they just don't, they're not taught how to keep it up and they don't, maybe they don't value the effort. I, I don't know. It's just, it's very tragic. Yeah. So you were celebrating your widowdom on a cruise around the world. <laughs> You're wearing a sash. No, I can't. Freshly widowed. Thank you. So the article continues to say, but unlike women in our mother's generation, Gen Xers and millennials are starting to hold their partners accountable or they're simply leaving. Mm-hmm. Ruby Merez, a comedian in her early 30s living in Los Angeles, got so fed up with functioning as an unpaid therapist that she gave her then-boyfriend of five years an ultimatum, get a shrink or we're done. He had no excuse not to go since his job paid for it. But here I was, a struggling freelancer with no benefits, always finding a way to prioritize therapy and yoga. He refused for two years, then finally agreed after multiple arguments, though it took prodding and reminding from her. He rarely went, says Merez, often blaming the therapist for scheduling conflicts and only conceded to couples counseling after she did all the work to find the therapist and set up the appointments. A little wiser, Merez broke up with her most recent romantic prospect after he said he didn't need therapy because he had her for that. Oh, bye-bye, freshly widowed. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> widowed by choice. Does that mean murder? Yes. Okay. Men, don't, don't do that. Men are taught that feelings are a female thing, muses Johnson, whose husband often complains about her wanting to talk deep. Though Johnson brags about how wonderful her husband is, grateful he doesn't exhaust her with his neediness like a lot of her married friends, she does wish men were encouraged to examine and explore their emotions in a safe setting, like therapy, before they boil over. I'm tired of having to replace another broken bedside table because he didn't realize he needed to talk about his feelings, she admits. Wow. Johnson's not alone. 
The persistent idea that seeking therapy is a form of weakness has produced a generation of men suffering from symptoms like anger, irritability, and aggressiveness, because not only are they less likely than women to pursue mental help, but once they do, they have a hard time expressing their emotions. This is so common, there's even a technical term for it, normative male alexithemia. Thank you. Fuck you, Alex. (laughs) Alexithemia. For millennial men in particular, a major challenge is understanding they need help in the first place. Your Penelope oh, she hurt, hurt me. She no, she hurt. Uh-huh. Uh, she heard Keep you say the word. Keep it Keep in. Keep it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We She's call her Penelope as a code word. What if she? Oh, what if she is like? You know what? She Alexa, Alexa, stop. You guys, she is feeling like she's not having, I don't know why I'm whispering. She's feeling like she doesn't have friends and she's reaching out for help. And you just told her to shut up. Listen, she only does exactly what I ask constantly and is always there for me. And I'm always like, God, the nerve on this. (laughs) She's about to be freshly widowed. Okay. So listen, for millennial men in particular, a major challenge is understanding they need help in the first place. Men have never been taught how to identify what their emotional needs are, their thoughts and feelings, or to express how someone can help them fulfill these, explains Dr. Angela Beard, a clinical psychologist. Yes? Yeah, you said it actually cl- fine. I think in your head you heard it wrong. <laughs> a clinical psychologist at the Veterans Affairs in Dallas, Texas. Forced to question long-held masculine ideals, therapy can be a meaningful and transformative process even for her most reluctant patients. No one has ever asked them what masculinity means to them, and they've never asked themselves, says Beard. They can get a lot of insight from this process. And you know, there's that Neil deGrasse Tyson quote from his Masterclass trailer that I invoke often, where Lisa looks, Lisa looks We got a confused. genius up here. That's my favorite gift that he has. Whoa, somebody's oh, a genius. I, whoa. But he says, like, something like, The dangerous part is when you know enough to know you're right, but not enough to know that you're wrong. Mm. And I think about that applied to many different contexts, but specifically, like, I actually know a lot of men who have done a lot of work Mm -hmm. on themselves and, like, trying to look within, but they're still they still have such a long way to go with emotional intelligence and even asking themselves three times a day, what am I feeling? Name three feelings, you know, and being able to express that, that it's like even a lot of, I mean, people as well. It's not exclusive to men or people who identify as men, but think like, oh no, I'm good. And don't, you just don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, until you've practiced it. It's so. an actual effect. I'll think of the name of the, the mm, I'll think of it. Was it the Berman effect? No, but I read about that no. today. Yeah, I'll you sent it. me a TikTok. I yeah. did. I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll look it up and you, okay, you continue. Okay, here we go. But individual therapy, which can cost upwards of $200 per session and is rarely covered by insurance, isn't financially viable for everyone. Group therapy is an accessible alternative ranging from $50 to $75 per session, but the practice faces added stigma because of its association with with inpatient psychiatric hospitals and rehab facilities, 
as well as court-ordered treatments for anger, domestic violence, sex offenses, and substance abuse. A lot of people, men and women both, have this stereotype of group therapy from movies like Adam Sandler's Anger Management, where everyone is sitting in a circle crying and one person is telling their life story and it's really awkward. Lisa is nodding her head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what people think it is. Mm-hmm. And you've done a lot of group therapy. Mm-hmm. I have. I've de- I did. A, a, I specifically sought out a co-ed group for my second group. Did you? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's another talk. That's another talk. That's a Minnesota mm-hmm. or a deep dive. That mm-hmm. might be confidential deep dive, deep dive yep. on the Patreon. <laughs> yep. But group therapy can be nothing like that, explains Beard, who leads various group therapy sessions. When newer men join the group, she explains... The tenured members often normalize therapy for them, explaining that it's a safe place to discuss deeply personal feelings. These military men, some with combat trauma, experience great relief in having their needs validated by peers. Mm -hmm. Members become comfortable enough to share their honest impression of another member, opening the door to interpersonal feedback that they may never hear elsewhere. Still, the statistics are bleak. Only 5% of men seek outpatient mental health services despite feeling lonelier than ever before. In a recent British study, 2.5 million men admitted to having no close friends. Mm -hmm. That breaks my heart. Think about that just like— They're horrible people. Just kidding. No, it's a lifetime of (laughs) lack of learned skills. Like, it's truly just a lack of skills. I just mean the heartbreak of feeling like no close friends. Yeah. Who do you turn to to celebrate, to be comforted, to share heartbreak with? Like, who do you ask to have over for dinner? You know, like that— That. Makes my, I just want to throw up when I hear that. Um, so I remembered the thing, it's called the Dunning Kruger effect, I believe, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you people who know a little bit think they know more, and people who know more think they don't know enough. It's really interesting. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, I know everything oh, there, there is go. to know about the Dunning Kruger effect. So, <laughs> there we go. What's more, men conceal pain and illness at much higher rates than women and are three times more likely than women to die from suicide. Black men face an added set of barriers, including systemic discrimination, racial stereotypes, and cultural stigma against mental illness. So what then is a man to do when he needs honest, unbiased support from someone other than his partner, but is unwilling or unable to try therapy? Some American men have found a powerful solution, men's support groups. Mm. I feel like previously they would like call 900 numbers or sex workers a lot of the time just say, I don't actually engage in sex with my clients. Mm, They just It's like the girlfriend effect. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. After several failed relationships, Scott Shepard realized that despite being an empathetic, self-aware guy, he was still missing a key element to his emotional health, a few good woke-ish men. Previously, Shepard leaned heavily on women for emotional intimacy because, shocker, that's who he felt safest with. Mm -hmm. The problem was he became dependent on the women he opened up to and kept repeating the cycle. I thought it really was me that's the problem. It didn't matter who the girl was. The same issues just kept coming up, admits the Portland, Oregon-based outdoor adventurer leader. Thank you. These old patterns are pretty deep. I needed support and intimacy that wasn't tied up into one relationship. So Shepard turned to the internet, downloaded a men's group manual, and invited a few guys who knew 
who he knew would be receptive. He capped the membership at eight and set up a structure with very clear boundaries. The most important being what's talked about in men's group stays in men's group. Mm -hmm. Each meeting starts with a five-minute meditation followed by discussions on everything from how to deal with difficulties in romantic relationships to talking through problems at work. Shepard describes it as pretty powerful to sit in a group of men or as one or more of them breaks down crying. It's healthy not only for the men being so vulnerable, but for the ones sitting there bearing witness to it, holding this safe space for him to cry in. He explains, As a man, you're not taught to listen. Just get busy trying to fix things. You can't cry, only get mad. This group changed that. They're starting to see that embracing these things we've rejected out of fear of being called gay or a pussy are actually huge acts of courage. Yes, thank you. Crying is brave and hard. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Thank you. Being a pussy (laughs) is incredibly difficult. It is. And also... Pussies are really tough. They have nine times the threshold of pain. Like, women have nine times the threshold of pain of men. I read that somewhere once. Yeah. But also, don't believe me if I don't cite it, everyone. (laughs) At first, (laughs) why would you do that? Why would you do that? (laughs) At first, Shepard thought his men's group would be a place to unload on someone other than a woman. Well, that's <laughs> Ooh, aggressive language. Nope. Also very <laughs> visual and sexual. I'm not here that's for not, it. That's not, yeah, I, I read into the aggression. You read into the sexuality. We say yes. But it's become more than that. Something he believes all men truly want and need, but can't admit it. In our culture, men have always found ways to be near each other, but it's never been centered around feelings, he explains. Men are taught the remedy to heartbreak is to get drunk with your buddies, objectify women, and go out and get laid to basically distance yourself from your feelings and channel them into an aggressive outlet. Yeah. We use sports as an excuse to bump up against each other. So desperate we are for human touch and intimacy. Oh, my heart. Oh, but this kind of closeness is based in camaraderie and aggression, not vulnerability and trust. The former is very surface level and not nearly as satisfying as the latter. And I feel like that just changed my entire understanding of why men are into sports. And it makes me wonder if everyone in the world went to a men's group and got the companionship and validation they needed, would the sports industry just crumble? (laughs) Just absolutely. I don't know. I think maybe it would be, we would focus less on the aggression and more on the camaraderie aspect. Yeah, and competition is fun too. Yeah, and I do think that like if you think about people who are still friends with like people on their high school football team, like they probably really shared camaraderie and Oh, friendship. being on a team, yes. I meant like football watching parties. Like as yeah. someone who once was a waitress at a sports bar, I have a very different experience of sports. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. feel like it's a safe space to show emotion. Yeah. And to, like, get the aggression out and, like, in between, you know, like, in between plays, you're talking. So yeah. how's that thing at work? So how's that whatever? It's I, but it's, it's also, yeah. yeah. I just wish it didn't have to be couched in that. I wish you could just, like, call someone and say. I know. And you can. And you can. You can. But that's what Liz Plank was saying in her book about that most men, most male friendships center around activities where most female friendships center around connection. Mm. And so it's a safe place to do something together. Versus, I mean, maybe yeah. you and I should examine ours because ours revolves around a pod 
podcast. So Shepard has learned there's some things you process with a partner, but other things that are much healthier to process outside the relationship instead of running away or making extreme statements like, I'm afraid this isn't working. He's learned it's best to first talk with healthy, honest men to get clarity and then come back and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Yeah. My friend Stephen, who asked me to um, omit his last name to protect the privacy of his family, actually credits joining a men's group with helping him find the necessary tools to ensure a healthy marriage. We all know it's it's you, Stephen. Stephen, Sondheim, we know it's you. It's changed my life. Steven Spielberg, (laughs) we're waiting for the movie. We see it. It's changed my life and secured the stability of my family, he admits. Stephen's men's group, which focuses on everything from setting and achieving goals to redefining masculinity itself, is a larger, more organized version of Shepherds with self-governed chapters all over the world. But like Shepherds, it prides itself on privacy. The group doesn't have a website and ushers in new members by word of mouth. I can take down my facade and get real about what I'm scared of or what I'm sad, self-conscious, or mad about, all without judgment or fear that it will get out of our confidential circle, says Stephen of his group. We deliver the truth and difficult feedback, even if it might not be well-received. Not only has the group taught him alternative ways to be a man, husband, and father, it has given Stephen a space to think about what kind of man he wants to be. Until I did this work, I didn't know there was anything but the singular default definition of manhood, he explains, adding that he's now a better listener, is more generous generous with his affection, oh, affection. and has— and has realized the importance of being present. Mm. Stephen checks in with his group weekly, sometimes even daily over text, depending on how much support he needs to stay on track with his goals. We're actually strongest when we lean on each other and do it together, Stephen says. Knowing that other men have problems, no matter how it looks on the outside, makes him feel less alone, he says, and less ashamed. Shame, Brene Brown found in her years of research, is the single biggest cause of toxic masculinity. Whereas women experience shame when they fail to meet unrealistic, conflicting expectations, men become consumed with shame for showing signs of weakness. Since vulnerability is, unfortunately, still perceived as a weakness instead of a strength, having hard conversations that involve vulnerability is something men often try to avoid. Just real quick, as a person who is perpetually vulnerable these days, it is terrifying and some of the bravest work I've ever done. I have had to summon more courage to be vulnerable than to avoid it. And so I just want to say like, it is brave, sometimes treacherous work. It's like walking through the woods at night when you can hear something growling at you and you step closer to it anyway. Wow. You know, so like, whew, it's not a weakness. Okay, back to the article. (laughs) So she said, having hard conversations that involve vulnerability is something men often try to avoid. It's for this reason that to yield positive results from men's support, support groups, men must enter such groups with that very intention, not just to find buddies. Whether they're members of small groups like Shepherds or more mainstream groups like Stevens, the men I spoke to all agreed on one thing, that these groups made them better partners to the women in their lives. And it's not just men saying this. I witnessed my friend Liz's marriage strengthen after her husband, Randy, co-founded a men's group with his best friend three years ago that offers a a confidential, neutral space for men in their isolated New England town to share their fears without judgment. 
This isn't him going to grab a beer with the guys. He's going to find psychological and emotional support from men who understand his problems, Liz explains. They're not just getting together to have a bitch fest, gossip, or complain about their lives. They're super intentional about what they're talking about, why, and what's important to them. And I know it's a quote, but I do take umbrage with the term bitch fest. We can unpack that at a later date. (laughs) Brandy's group, which caps membership to six people at any given time to build trust with each member, also adheres to strict confidentiality rules. Whenever it's time for the men's group to meet at one of our houses, the wives clear out, toting their kids and babies behind so the guys can have a private space to do this important work, says Liz, clarifying that her husband equally shares the burden of work at home, as do most of the men in the group. The meetings are often held later in the evening so that the men can first feed their children and put them to bed. And if Liz is busy on men's group night, Randy will hire a babysitter. He would never assume I'm free to take over, and he never asks me to cancel my plans so he can go to men's group. A group text chain enables the men to check in with with other members between meetings. And for some of these men, this is their first truly authentic relationship with a peer. It's super liberating to make yourself vulnerable to a group like this, says Randy, adding that he doesn't need Liz to be his one and only anymore. Similarly, now that Shepard, the outdoor adventure leader, no longer needs a partner to feel emotionally connected and understood, he says he can go into his next relationship without being emotionally needy or selfish. It's really not healthy to have all your chips in one container with anyone. After watching TED Talks like Tony Porter's A Call to Men and Justin Baldoni's Why I'm Done Trying to Be Man Enough, I love Justin Baldoni and his Mm -hmm. his men's work, Activism. Shepard has realized how important it is for men to start redefining what it means to be a good man to the women in their lives. He believes men are having a reckoning right now, not just with their past wrongs, both individually and collectively, as we've seen with the Me Too and Time's Up movements, but with who they are and want to be. Our culture pits men against women and makes it impossible for men to feel anything but shame if they act too feminine in front of other men, he says. But some men are recognizing that internally they aren't nearly as strong as they think they are. And that Mm. is the article. A genuine article. A genuine article. Thank you for sharing that. I have a few questions for you. I know as much as we all know after this article. I'm very nervous. Did this article need to be written? Oh, yes. Yes. I hope everybody starts talking about this work and normalizes it. Yeah. And that any... Anyone listening to this who knows somebody that might be open to a men's group or uh, any men listening to this who are just thinking about it, like you can create these spaces if you can't find them. Yeah. You could do a men's group with three people, you know, like, yeah, yes, it needed to be written. What do you feel the author got right and what do you feel the author got wrong? This is so funny. I don't feel like we've ever done this for articles. I know, but I feel like it's good. I think she got it all right. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough. Just call me Dunning-Kruger, Mrs. Dunning-Kruger. Thank you. Because I do not know enough to know, <laughs> Ms., thank you. I don't know enough to know what she what she got wrong. But Yeah, the, well, you didn't the, like the term bitch fest. It was a quote from someone she was quoting in the article. Mm. So it wasn't her. You're fair. fair. Are you going to try and take anything from this article and implement it? Yeah, I mean, yes. Just understanding this part of the puzzle and there's like 
one million parts to this part of the puzzle, just like it is with Liz Plank, it has really given me compassion for what men go through and what an enormous void there is that needs to be filled. And I am such a feminist. And I believe it's just the radical notion that women are people too. And I, I I just want everyone to heal. And so the more I learn about this, the more it expands my awareness and compassion. And it affects the way I approach everyone, coworkers, yeah. romantic yeah. relationships, friends, yeah. uncles, you know? So yeah. I love that. It's also stewing in the back of my brain for when I have kids. For I sure. like have a little mental file that's like, I am going to teach if I have boys Oh, they're going to be, we're going to be learning our emotions with our ABCs. Yeah. I also feel like you don't have to wait to have children to have this impact whenever you interact with children, right? I am going to go up to someone's child at the park and I am going to say, excuse me, do you know what sadness looks like? (laughs) But what I am saying is that, you know, we can impact the lives of, and not just kids, but our, you know, our male friends, et cetera. Totally. Well, I have often been the crutch for a lot of male friends. Some I'm more than happy to engage in this work because they are mm-hmm. on the path and they are doing a lot of, they have a lot of self-awareness and are, they feel safe expressing emotions with me. But I have decided, especially after this pandy and the year that I'm having, that mm. I don't need to be their unpaid therapist to help them understand why they're, you know, upset about something. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that anymore. People that I'm very close with and that I would spend hours supporting in any way that I could, yeah. I absolutely will. And people that I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. People often come to me to be a safe space because they, they know I'm a safe space and yeah. that I can handle it, you know, and get vulnerable right along with them. But it can be a lot if it's not yeah. reciprocated, if you're the only person they're going to, yeah. if, you know, it's like, yeah. I think I can create a safe space for a little bit and then I can say, you need to get a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Misty, yeah. thank you for sharing this beautiful article. This genuine article. Thank you to Allison for bringing it yes, to my you, attention. Allison. And like, thank you to the author for writing this. And thank you to all the men who are looking inward and sh- and examining yeah. themselves. And, and our longtime loyal listeners who identify as male, thank you for being here and listening to us and doing this work along mm, alongside. Yeah. And we want to hear from you if if this article resonated with you, if you have a men's group. Yeah. Or if you just like to, you know, punch somebody in the shoulder while you watch football on game I mean, day. Yeah. And anything in between, you know? <laughs> But yeah. yeah, so let us let us know what you what you think of this. You know, this is um that's what I mean about these articles is like it's not a whole book, but they hit hard. This is a this yeah. is a this is packed with a and lot I, of stuff. I am sorry that I glamorized widows, but that's the space I'm in today because I'm laughing at myself. And we my promised you all a comedy self help podcast, <laughs> and if by the way, if you are if you have been hearing the less than jolly tone in my voice as I read this, it's because I'm going back over my own experiences and going, oh my God, that's why that relationship fell apart or yeah. that was the problem. And like just a lot brewing for me too. And it's it's really 
tragic. It's just tragic. Yeah. It can be tragic when people aren't from patriarchy. Everybody suffers from patriarchy. We'll put that on a coffee mug and you can grab it in the merch shop. I love you, Misty. With that, life life is abundant. abundant. Goodbye. I can't wait for that mug. Go Help Yourself was produced by Misty Stinnett and Lisa Linky. Our theme song was written by the inimitable Matt Sav. Inimitable. There's nothing we love more than hearing from you. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. We're also at gohelpyourselfpodcast on Instagram and at ghypodcast on Twitter. And you can go old school and check out our website at gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. It basically is a fancy PowerPoint slide. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review because it helps other people find our show. You know who else needs to find it? Your friends. Tell all of your friends. Okay, thanks. Bye.